Studs. Our analysts break down fights, bring you pre-bout predictions and previews, plus talk all things MMA, from the UFC to Bellator, and every show in between. If it's a fight, we have you covered. Are you ready? Baseline Times presents Josh Thomas and Cody Gwynn with Baseline MMA. Welcome to the latest edition of Baseline MMA. We're going to talk all things about the upcoming fight card, big pay-per-view, UFC 254. Cody and Josh hanging out with you. Uh, 254 has got a stacked undercard along with, of course, Gagey fighting Khabib for the undisputed lightweight title. Plus, we've got a few other things to talk about tonight as well. We're going to start, though, the card this past weekend, Josh Ortega, Korean Zombie. I know we were both just pumped for that main event fight, wondering how things would look, especially considering uh, we've not seen Ortega in nearly two years. Korean Zombies, always entertaining to watch. Fight was a wild one, but in the end, I mean, it's, it's Ortega 2.0, a clinic pretty much – that's a but ninety-eight percent of the fight on the feet. Ortega just giving it to Korean Zombie, a big unanimous decision win. Uh, man, how impressed were you with Brian Ortega this weekend? I think uh, so. To kind of take one step back, me and you both, uh, we conversed on Friday before the fight, uh, right after the weigh-ins. I mean, you both noticed he had cut his hair off, and me and you had both kind of had the same assumption that, okay, this guy's had a rough weight cut uh how how is this going to affect him in the fight and holy crap man he if you would have told me that this guy uh had spent 90 percent of his career choking people out i would have literally laughed at you he uh he looked absolutely incredible he looked like a very fluid uh kickboxer the defenses a lot of times people will kind of get wooed to sleep when, when people have a really good offense, which is exactly what Brad Ortega had. He had an incredible offense. I actually, Cody, you're going to kind of find this funny. I went to the gym Monday and taught everybody how to throw a spinning elbow after that uh, because people, people were just they – were, they were loving it. Um, you know, Ortega looked so good offensively, but his defense was absolutely incredible. Uh, Korean Zombie kind of pressed forward a couple times to no avail. Brad Ortega caught a kick. The correct way, you know, we've been talking about catching kicks the last couple of weeks, man. Catches a kick and just throws a, uh, a left cross clean down the pipe, uh, drops drops the Korean zombie right off the bat, then a beautiful spinning elbow to drop him again. And, man, it just – honestly, the only thing it would be comparable to is is uh, somebody trying to break into that top uh, – you know, the top 15, and they're definitely not on that level. You know, it kind of – it was it was a very – it was very different from how any of us seen it going, but very obvious. The two years has been incredible for Ortega. And frankly, after that performance, I honestly can't say that I see Alexander Volkanovsky beating him anywhere in the cage. Is that kind of the, the same impression that you're under? You know, I really, first of all, was super impressed with Brian Ortega. Uh, you know, Korean Zombie is one of the top fighters in the featherweight division. Still think he definitely is. Uh, it's just one of those situations where I feel – he got popped early and kind of shelled up. He, he struggled to pull the trigger at times. I was wondering if, you know, at first I thought maybe he hurt his hand, seemed to be shaking out that lead hand a bunch. Then he got his jaw just absolutely rocked, and he kept stretching it out, which is usually not a good sign uh, for your jaw. Then uh, we both seen when he got cut. I mean, he was, he was panicked a little uh, by the sight of blood. So all in all, I mean, uh, Ortega just put it on him. Here's my take on Ortega in terms of this top five, and, you know, Josh, I'm just so conflicted when it comes to this because, I mean, look, 
he looks so good and his stand-up looks so good. And I guess we don't really need to see him on the ground because we definitely know what he could do. But in terms of, you know, Alexander Volkanovsky, he, he's the UFC champion. He's a uh, controversial 2-0 and against Max Holloway. But those fights have been so evenly matched. They have been, I mean, literally 10 of the closest rounds uh, we've ever seen between two fighters. I mean, just where, you know, through, I mean, if it was like a boxing match, I mean, you would be so torn to judge that. The way I look at it, though, man, if, you know, what if we flip-flopped? What if Holloway would have won the decision in the last fight against Volkanovski? Were you impressed enough with Brian Ortega to think that he would deserve a rematch against Max Holloway, who, I mean, just beat him up, touched him up, one of the, you know, one of the most lopsided title fights we've ever seen? Because that's kind of where I am, where I look, and don't get me wrong, I understand that Holloway and Volkanovski are two different types of fighters, but both guys are so evenly matched that, if Max Holloway's the champion, I think we'd all be pumping the brakes on giving Ortega another title fight. But since Volkanovski's the champion, you know, Ortega sort of gets to jump to the front of the line. I don't know, man. I'm, I'm conflicted. I really do think Ortega – and, again, I know I said this to you last week. I, I believe I did at least. You know, I, I think or, I picked Ortega to beat Max Holloway. I was on the Ortega bandwagon and was shocked with how one side of that fight was. So um, I'm almost – uh, my brain really thinks that again, I would pick Ortega against Volkanovski. But now there's that you know part of me that says, well, we also thought Ortega might beat Holloway, and that we know how that went. So, I mean, you have to kind of wonder if you know there's something with that style of fighter, that tough, gritty, stand in the pocket and trade with you. The, the style Holloway is is sort of what we've seen from Volkanovski as well. Plus, you get him. Volkanovski does have that wrestling and takedown defense as well as his takedown offensive grappling ability. You know, I, I love the fight because I just don't know which way I would go. And that reason almost makes me want to see Ortega be the clear-cut number one contender because I do think that fight could go many different ways. I mean, you're talking about two of the best well-rounded guys at featherweight currently. Yeah, and I, and I will say, uh, you mentioned it a moment ago that you wasn't for sure that Brian Ortega was the number one contender after that fight. Brown Ortega main, maintained a number two in the world ranking after two years off, whereas we just seen recently Tatiana Suarez got cut from the rankings because uh, of inactivity due to a neck injury. So um, I did have a problem with him kind of coming into this fight as the number two in the world. However, it was very clear that the Korean zombie was was definitely within that top five. And, and if, you, if you look at the featherweight picture right now, the top five is um, – it's, it's, it's Ortega, it's the Korean Zombie, Max Holloway. Um, gosh, I don't even know who else would be. Because I want to say Calvin Cater, but I, I still believe he's at six. So who is the, the... – uh, You got Volker. Well, I don't look at the, I don't look at the UFC rankings because they're always a little bit skewed. I, I see uh, Volkanovski, Holloway, Ortega. Uh, well, Calvin's a little bit lower here. Zabit and Yair. Okay, so Zabit and Yair. Yeah, Zabit, um, Zabit and Yair are being matched up, correct? <sighs> for like Supposedly. two years now. I think last I heard that fight has been being worked on for a long time, but I think Dana really wants it to headline, and that's where some of the issues have, have lied. Yair uh, wants a full-on camp to headline a fight. Zabit's kind of ready, but the longer it gets drawn out, the more so he just wants a title shot. He is, his camp is pleading that they deserve a title shot. 
Well, they're also the same camp that uh, that had Marlon Marais in it. That uh, yeah. You know, it, so anyway, anyways, I'm as I digress. I'm just the top five right now at featherweight. You know, you've got uh, Max Holloway, former champ, who's fought the current champ now twice. Uh, you know, you've got this weird little mishap with with Zabit and Yair. Uh, the Korean Zombies already fought Yair. Korean Zombie uh, just lost to Ortega. So, if you're if you're not going to give Ortega a title shot, uh, then yeah, I'm all for a Max Holloway rematch. I'm all for even, uh, you know, I'm I'm even for a, a Zabit and and Ortega matchup. But I think that that right now Ortega poses a pretty good threat to the champ. And I've said this on the last podcast, and I'm not knocking, uh, and and I wasn't knocking the Korean Zombie when I said it, it looked like like a, a very huge mismatch styles truly do make fights. Um, but I think that in, in no disrespect to the champ, but I think right now he is the weakest champion of all. I think when Max was a champion, I had a harder time seeing people beating Max. Uh, whereas with Volkanovski, you know, if, if Volk does try to, to take the fight to the ground with Ortega, I mean, that's, that's essentially the worst place to be. You know, so in my mind, uh, Ortega's stand-up, I mean, after one fight, you know, in two years, I think his stand-up did look, you know, if you were to compare it to Volkanovski's, I think his stand-up did look a little bit crisper, a little bit cleaner. Um, so that's the only, only reason I'm saying you to give him Volkanovski, let that happen. Uh, featherweight's one of those weird, weird divisions where right now it's just full of absolute bangers, but there's just some sort of weird hold-up almost. Yeah. Uh, let me ask you this, Josh, you know, because – I agree. I think Ortega Volkanovski is a good fight, and Volkanovski is healthy and ready to go. You know, he he's he's gone into fight pretty soon. I, you know, obviously, I don't think looking at the schedule, there's any way they get that fight on this year, but probably early next year. Uh, but say uh, something crazy was to happen, how would you how would you pick? How would you predict a rematch between Holloway and Ortega going? I mean, Max Holloway's. Uh, been through some battles since that fight with Ortega. The two fights to Volkanovski, the fight against Frankie Edgar. While Ortega, you know, he's he's been in the lab. He's been he's been sharpening up all his tools and stuff. But I mean, you know, just one fight in two years, and he he, he looked great. You know, his chin held up. He really barely got hit. You mentioned his defense, and it really was was on point. But if that rematch was to happen, uh, are you convinced that? Because I mean, in my mind. If someone gets just chin checked early in a fight, or gets taken down and just gets in a bad position, and gets submitted, we can call things like that not a fluke. I hate the I hate the word fluke, but one of those just occurrences where it can be one of those nine out of ten you win, but this is that tenth time uh, when you beat somebody up for a whole fight. The doctor comes in and says, "Dude, you can't take no more." I mean, that's that's not a fluke. That's not a flash of the pan. I mean, that that's a guy who was better prepared, better trained, and a better fighter. But from what you've seen over the last couple of years, do you think that fight would go different a second time around between Holloway and Ortega? I'm not sure. That's, that's the kind of thing is I am, and you know, I'm kind of biased because if you listen to this podcast, you know, my two favorite fighters uh, or even three, you know, cause I'm, I'm very vocal about it is Max Holloway, Justin Gaethje and Dustin Poirier. And then a fourth would be Nick Diaz because I talk about Nick quite often, but, uh, I'm very partial to to Max Holloway, and I am one of these people. I believe that Max Holloway did win that rematch against Volkanovski. So, in my mind, um, this should be Brian Ortega and Max Holloway rematching for a title. the The thing about it, man, is uh, when you when you go through a fight like that, right? When you have an absolute war, 
Uh, you're right. I mean, you are truly different after that. Max has been on a little bit um, of a decline since then. The only reason I say he's been on a decline, you know, he bumped up to 155 and he fought Poirier and, and Poirier hit him with some power shots. And after that, you know, he came back to, uh, to 45, you know, he, he uh, in my mind, he, he was a clear cut winner against Frankie Edgar, but then you have these two fights with Volkanovsky. They're just razor close, super tough fights. Um, Whereas, you know, you do have a, a Brian Holloway that's coming back after a two-year layoff. He took two years off, repaired his body, repaired his mind more than anything. Um, so that's the thing is if he was to step into that cage with Max, Max Holloway again, would he kind of be, uh, I guess, tentative because of how the first fight went? That is the, like in my mind, that is the factor. Um, and it, me, myself being as big of a Max Holloway fan as I am, um, if Brian Ortega could get over that sort of mental mountain, I think that there's a huge chance he does kind of upset Max Holloway and, and, and maybe take it the second fight. But uh, the thing about Max Holloway, man, is, and I've, I don't really compare a lot of fighters to Nick Diaz, but Max Holloway almost has that Nick Diaz style where he, it's, it's this weird pressure and it's this weird volume. You know, you've seen it so evident in the, uh, in the Anthony Pettis fights and you've seen it in the, the, the Brian Ortega fight where he just absolutely drowns people. He pressures you. He makes you miss. He kind of talks trash to you. You know, you've seen it in the Aldo fight too. You know, Max can kind of take a beating and then he'll he'll give it right back. Um, and you know, Brian Brian did land some good punches, some good combos in that first fight. You know, it's it's the later rounds where Max Holloway truly took him into those deep deep waters and just absolutely drowned him. If Brian Ortega can get over that that little mental uh, hump, and you know, I say that because you know i've been in absolute dog fights where i can 100 percent say i would not want to fight some of these guys twice you, you know what i'm saying so mentally if brown ortega can get over that the brown ortega that showed up saturday night could have a, a pretty good chance of i don't think he's gonna knock out holloway and i don't think he's gonna submit him again or, uh, i don't think he's gonna submit him in a rematch uh, but I do think he probably could edge out a decision against against the Holloway that now in his last five has lost uh, three decisions. You know, you know it's such a that's such a tough thing because I mean it almost makes you want to play this fantasy matchmaker game. And I'll even ask you this question, Josh. You know, it is a definitely obviously a fantasy question. But you know, if if Max Holloway and judging off what you said, I, I'm still curious about this. Uh, say Max Holloway got the decision in, in the last fight and Volkanovski and Holloway were going to fight again, would you still consider Brian Ortega the number one contender if Max Holloway was currently the champion? Or would you be more apt to say, well, maybe Ortega needs one more fight. Maybe we'll give Calvin Cater this title shot against Holloway. Maybe we'll even fast track to beat into a title shot. I mean, because that's kind of how I'm looking at it is one fight removed. And I know it's been two years, but one fight removed is not enough for me to really and and I'm and the bad thing is if you have a champion who's healthy and ready to fight you need a booking. So in my opinion 100% we're going to see Volkanovski and Ortega probably late January early February because Volkanovski is ready to fight. You got to get the division moving. But if we were in a situation where Volkanovski wasn't able to fight, uh, I would 100% uh you know book this division and get something else happening even if I needed to do you know, Brian Ortega against, you know, I don't really know a name in the division right now. Um, Let's just say Yair. For, for yeah, that. yeah, like Yair. I mean, the fights like I would love to see Ortega against someone else. And, again, no offense to Korean Zombie, but I just feel like early in the fight, 
he sort of got checked out. Like he sort of got, you know, caught a couple times, got hit with that back elbow. And he never, I mean, it was never the zombie we've really seen before. He was struggling. I mean, the last, like, I think minute or minute and a half in the fifth round, he sort of started to push Ortega, but Ortega just, you know, back, you know, backed up and kind of swung from the, the his angles and was able to play the defensive role. But you know, I mean, even, I mean, call me crazy, but I mean, you know, how good of a fight would Ortega against Zabit be, you know, because I mean, Megan Mishirapiov have shown that he likes, you know, to use those trips and try to get his angles and work his elbows and work his knees and use his range. He's a rangy guy, I believe. I'd have to look, but I mean, I think he would have at least a, an inch or two reach advantage against someone like Brian Ortega. And maybe that was the problem with Ortega and Holloway is how well Holloway used his jab and his cross to keep Ortega at bay would you know Zabit be able to do something similar so there's so many good contenders in featherweight and man just how one-sided and that's the thing I I think Ortega deserves to be a top you know three fighter in the world but it's hard for me to really get all in on Ortega fighting for a title because I don't care if it's been one year two year three years the fight before this he literally was part of the most one-sided fights one-sided title fights in UFC history and Holloway and Volkanovski have been the closest two fighters maybe in UFC history besides I would, you know, maybe Frankie Edgar and Gray Maynard for a while. I mean, just two guys that were so evenly matched. So that almost makes me pump the brakes on throwing Ortega in there. Uh, but just looking at their vision, I think, you know, the best way, and I'll let you answer this as well or, or kind of give the fights you would like to see, but we may be on the same page here. The best thing for the featherweight division would be to go ahead and do Volkanovski and Ortega for the title. So let's get a five-round fight sometime to close this year. There's a couple cars we were talking about for the show. There's a couple shows that need big fights. Uh, I would love to see Max Holloway and Calvin Cater in a five-round fight. I think that's 100% the fight to make. That could even be your next title eliminator. Zabi and Yair needs to get done. Uh, again, hopefully before the end of the year, both those guys have been out far too long. That fight needs to happen. In my opinion, if the UFC can't get that fight done by December, uh, move on. You know, just scrap it, move on, get someone else in there, put Yair against someone like Dan Inge, and put Zabit in there, maybe against someone like Josh Emmett if he's able to fight sometime early next year, or even Hakeem Dawadu. I know he's only, or he's in a lot of people's minds, a prospect, but, you know, he wants a test. That's a good test for him to fight someone like Zabit or Yair, but uh, you got to get Zabit and Yair booked. I mean, you got to get this division moving. Again, one of the big things about the top contender is that you have a champion who's ready to fight. We've seen it at the heavyweight division. We've seen it at 205. We've seen it at 185. Sometimes these champions just kind of want to wait and cherry pick. Volkanovski said multiple times he's ready to fight whoever the UFC says. So uh, I, I think that's that's some of the best moves. How, how are you match? How are you match making really the top ten of this division? Can't forget I didn't mention, but you know Edson Barbosa is in that mix as well because he looked good against Americani. It, it's just tough to book him too because you'd hate to put him in a fight where he gets another loss, considering he's been on a bit of a skid. But at the same time, you don't want to put Barbosa against a prospect. But he's kind of, the, in my opinion, one of the one of the dark horses in that division because you know he he's sort of has a gatekeeper status oh I hate to say that but a little bit of a gatekeeper status but at the same time I, I think he would be a great fight for a Korean zombie or Yair Rodriguez yeah I like I like the idea and, and I'm just going to kind of back up for a moment and, and answer these kind of one at a time now uh, you said how would I feel about Brian Ortega being the number one contender if Max Holloway had a one so I think that uh not only as an MMA fan but as a fan of competitions let's say max holloway did 
uh, win the second fight fight with uh, Volkanovski, which I think he did. But let's say he let's say the judges seen it that way as well. Then of course you have to do the rubber match. You know you can't. You know it, the, you're at that point you're treading a steep ADC sort of moment where you have to find out who is the best in the world, right? If each fighter has a win, then you have to move forward with the division. If that was the case, then I would say uh, Brian Ortega versus, uh, let's say, Calvin Cater and and kind of give Calvin that, that opportunity. Calvin has some of the best boxing in the UFC, point blank, some of the best boxing in the UFC. Uh, so him against Brian Ortega, that's a fun matchup right there. And they fought on the same card. Uh, I think once before, um, I think Brian Ortega was fighting uh, Hinato Moicano. I think it was the John Jones DC2. Uh, they fought on the same card together. So uh, that could be a really fun matchup. And then if that's the case, then you have to book Zabit and Yair, and you have to do it a five-round fight. And here is why. is because we've only seen Zabit in these three-rounders. You know, you've seen him in, in a three-rounder against uh, Calvin, Calvin Cater. And Calvin Cater started kind of picking up in the third round, whereas Zabit kind of tapered off in the third round. Uh, the same can be said for um, the very first fight Zabit had in the UFC uh, against uh, – Gosh, that absolute maniac, Kyle Bosniak, right? Bosniak kind of picked it up in the third round. Zabit kind of tapered off. And there's something about that camp. We mentioned it before uh, the show kind of started about Marlon Marais. Marlon Marais is a huge example of somebody who is an excellent first and second round fighter. The third, fourth, and fifth round is where he he ultimately falls off. Uh, And so I'm kind of under the impression that Zabit is a lot of the same way, where you take somebody like Yair – who we've kind of seen in these five round fights before, you know, we've we seen him, he first headlined, uh, uh, it was a fight night against Alex Caceres. Uh, right. And so we've seen, uh, Yair, excuse me. We've seen Zaire, uh, fuck, I keep wanting to say Zaire. We've seen Yair fight in these five round fights. Um, uh, and most notoriously the five rounder, uh, in Colorado against the Korean zombie where buzzer beater knockout. So Yair is one of these people that kind of keeps his power, all five rounds, whereas we've seen Zabit sort of taper off. So in my mind, that is the fight we absolutely have to have as a fight night headliner just to kind of see where Zabit is. Because as sold as I am on Zabit, I'm also that much reserved. Does that, does that make sense? Um, whereas Yair, you know, aside from a tough, tough Frankie Edgar loss, you know, Yair is kind of proven. You know, he's fought the Jeremy Stevens. He's fought the uh, the Korean zombies, you know. So – um, for, for right now, right. For right now, the way that everything is lined up, I would say, you know, move Brian Ortega into that, that featherweight title picture. And I understand why they're doing it. Um, is because, you know, they, they put a lot of stock in Brian Ortega, you know, Modelo commercials and, and he's, he's, you know, kind of the pretty boy of the UFC. You know, they kind of want him, they, they might not want him to be the champion, but they want him to be in these fights where he's going to kind of bring the crowd that he brings, you know, cause he does have a lot of, uh, female followers, you know. Um, so, you know, I think I think that's the move to make. I think you put Ryan Ortega against uh, Alexander Volkanovsky. You give Max Holloway, Calvin Cater, or um, maybe even, you know, he's coming off a, well, that'd be kind of too long. I was about to say Josh Emmett, but you could even throw Shane Burgos in the mix. You know, I wouldn't mind seeing – uh, Calvin Cater versus versus Shane Burgos number two and letting Josh Emmett have a crack at, at Max Holloway whenever he's healed up. Uh, but we're also, you know, I'm, I'm 100% dead set on I need Zabit and Yair, but we're also leaving out kind of the dark horse that me and you have both talked about, a guy named 
uh, Arnold Allen, who I believe he's fighting Jeremy Stevens next, correct? Yes, uh, November 7th. So I'm assuming once he fights Stevens, uh, you know, I'm kind of just assuming Arnold Allen's going to win that fight. You have him. You have a guy in Hakeem uh, Dawadu. You've got a Shane Burgos, who even coming off a loss, uh, is definitely coming off a loss in a fight of the year contender. So a lot of stock in that guy. That's what I'm saying. The featherweight division is so fun right now. There's so many matchups that you can make. And I'm kind of with you. Max Holloway, Calvin Cater, number one contender fight to see who fights the winner of Volk and, uh, and Brian Ortega. And then uh, – or, or you, you know, you can let uh, Zabit and, and Yair be that fight. You know, it's, it's one of those things where Zabit and, and Yair have both sidelined themselves for so long that they've almost um, – I don't want to say they're almost hurting their own stock, but that's kind of what it seems like. You know what I mean? Yeah, 100%. And, and you mentioned Arnold Allen. You kind of threw off my whole plan because I was going to say, let's not forget about three up-and-comers. Uh, I just want to ask you real quick, Josh, and you kind of already answered for, for the first one, but uh, I'm going to give you three names, three up-and-comers, and I want you to tell me if you think they can crack into the top ten to compete with some of these guys that we've talked about. The first one being Arnold Allen. And I know you just mentioned him. He obviously is going to fight Jerry Stevens, who definitely has had, and I know he hates it, but he is the featherweight gatekeeper. Uh, do you think he can contend with some of those upper-ranked guys in terms of being a title challenger over the next year? Absolutely, man. Arnold, Arnold Allen, you wouldn't, you wouldn't think it by, you know, because we don't really see him often, but that guy is an absolute contender. And I'm going to actually push it a little bit further, Cody. I like to see him uh, in the top five overall. I'm not sure, you know, I've got to see him a couple more times to really determine uh, where he stacks up within that top five. But I would definitely say that Arnold Allen can push to the top five. And the exact same with uh, with Shane Burgos, you know, coming off that fight with with Josh Emmett. And Josh Emmett's the same way. You know, I can I can see – uh, both of those guys cracking the you know the top five as well. Allen and Burgos, two two big names, and the only thing that and I'm, I'm like you, I'd like to see Arnold Allen. I was really hoping they'd book him against someone like a Dan Inge or even possibly an Edson Barbosa coming up. But he's going to fight Jerry Stevens, and you know that's a three fight. If he beats Stevens, it's a three fight winning streak. It's, it's Gilbert Melendez, Nick Lance, and Jerry Stevens three names that people recognize, but not really thought another up and comer, another guy that's in currently the top uh, five or top 10 or top eight. Uh, how about this name for you? This is uh, Bryce Mitchell. He's 13 and 0, four known the UFC. Him and Andre Feely are going to fight. Feely is no pushover. He does not want to be a gatekeeper. Uh, you know, this is a guy who fought a lot of really tough guys on the up and up. Uh, he's nine and six. He lost to Sadiq Yusuf or Sadiq Yusuf, who's another guy who's an up and comer, but now he gets a chance to fight Bryce Mitchell. Uh, that's a fun fight, man. You know, Feely's coming off that win against Air Jordan, where he really just kind of put it on him. Uh, Feely's a little inconsistent, always fun to watch, but a bit inconsistent at times. Uh, still real young, though. So uh, what do you think about Mitchell and Feely? And do you think Bryce Mitchell can crack that top 10 or top five down the road? I think, uh, and, you know, I've kind of said it on this podcast before. I think Bryce Mitchell could be uh, like our generation's Matt Hughes in a lot of ways. And it's, it's not, it's not me kind of riding this hype train. I mean, when you really look at that guy fight, he's, he's honestly, I mean, he's as well-rounded as they come and super, 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 super dangerous uh, on the ground. Who was the last guy he fought? Boston strong. What is his name? I, I can't for the life of me think of, of that guy's name. Charles Rosa. Charles Rosa. Yeah. Put it on Charles Rosa, man. I mean, <laughs> 
you, he'll throw out so many submissions. You'll be begging for this guy to just fucking punch you in the face. You know what I mean? Um, I really like Bryce Mitchell in the top 10. I really want to see him evolve, but I want to see him evolve um, at a good rate. I don't want the UFC to push him. I want to see, I want to see him kind of earn his way up and, and definitely take it to these guys in this, in this featherweight division. Andre Feely is one of these guys. I actually really, really like Andre Feely. And you're right. He has fought a lot of the guys. Um, he's been fighting in the UFC for a while. I think since he was 18 or 19. You know, and he's been in there with Max Holloway. He's been in there with uh, heavy, heavy hitter Charles Jordan. So Feely's no pushover, man. If Bryce Mitchell can get past Andre Feely, then, hey, maybe put him in there with a, with a Hakeem Dawadu or maybe maybe even a Sadiq Yusuf, you know, uh, somebody with a little bit bigger of a name than Feely. Cause even though Feely does have a lot of recognition, he is kind of recognized as a guy who uh, at times has been kind of a stepping stone for people. So I'm all for if, if Bryce Mitchell gets past Andre Feely, put him in there with somebody either in that top 15 to top 10 or, or give him a good name. You know what I mean? Yeah. I got one more name for you. And Featherweight is such a good division. We talked about this on last week's show. I mean, not even really talking about Sadiq Yusuf because he's right there in top 15. We mentioned Dawadu. You've mentioned a few names as well. Shane Burgos always flying under the radar. We've mentioned now both Arnold Allen and Bryce Mitchell. We're still forgetting about a guy like Grant Dawson and tons of international guys who are coming up with just really nice-looking records. But one name I want to throw out there for you to talk about in terms of just how hard it is to book him, but the fact that he's yet to taste defeat in the UFC and he's oh got a cult following. So just kind of tell me, just kind of tell me how you would feel 50, about 50. the UFC giving a push to Mr. Ryan Hall. How do you feel that works if they're to say, you know what, we're having trouble, we can't get up and comers to fight you, dude. We're just going to throw you in there. This guy, you know, if if the UFC announced tomorrow, you know, Dan Inge gets Ryan Hall. How do you feel about Ryan Hall? against the top 10 of this featherweight division. Oh, 50-50, Ryan Hall. I, I cannot believe that we forgot about him. And he's from our neck of the woods, too. He's, mm-hmm. he's from, uh, you know, from Virginia. Man, Ryan Hall is – he could be the scariest featherweight on the roster without even really throwing fucking punches, man. Right. I mean, that, that slick, slick heel hook over BJ Penn. And that was the last time we saw Ryan Hall, wasn't it? Yep. He's had yeah. uh, three fights fall through since then. You know what? Fuck it. Do Bryce Mitchell and Ryan Hall. That would be that'd be no punches thrown, all submission, uh, submission grappling. But hey, Ryan Hall, man, Ryan Hall is a problem for everybody except maybe maybe Brian Ortega, somebody with a, a legitimate uh, a, a legitimate black belt. You know, Ryan Hall is, you know, he's my new dark horse at featherweight. <laughs> I said Arnold Allen. Ryan Hall is the new. A new dark horse for me. I can't believe I forget about that guy, but he, gosh, he needs a new manager. That's true. How about this? Just what if tomorrow we, we get online and we see the UFC announce a five-round fight to headline a December show between uh, Ryan Hall and Max Holloway? How do you see that fight going? Oh, okay. Come on, man. You know Max is my boy. Um, man, that's a tough one right there because you're kind of looking at Max Holloway versus versus Brian Ortega. Again, you know, Brian Ortega had a legitimate black belt going in there against uh, Max Holloway. Or, I'm sorry, Brian Ortega had a legit black belt going in there against against Max Holloway. We'd seen some striking, some good, crisp, clean striking from uh, Brian Ortega at that point. You know, knocked out Frankie Edgar. You know, he, he TKO'd Clay Guida at that point. Um, 
but still, Max uh, Max has good takedown defense. He he has some decent he has some decent scrambling about him too. You know, he went for an anaconda choke on on Dustin Poirier. You know, so he's uh, he's not uh, illiterate in the in the grappling department. I don't know. I would kind of see that fight kind of being a, a Brian Ortega Max Holloway two kind of fight. So Brian Hall against everybody but Max Holloway. <laughs> And, you know, I mean, because Max Holloway is one of these guys. He just drowns, drowns these these uh, legitimate black belts. You know what I mean? Right. So we're holding off on the top five for Ryan Hall, which, again, Ryan Hall just needs fights. I mean, that's the biggest thing. The more we see of Ryan Hall, the better. Uh, and, again, he's been around a long time. Not really been in the UFC for a long time, but he's been around a long time. Uh, world champion in jiu-jitsu, one of the most just de- decorated grapplers. And I have heard he's starting to experiment with maybe moving up in weight and doing some different things just to find uh, more fights. But hopefully we hear can his I, name coming up soon. Can I make a comparison really quick? He could be the featherweight Damian Maya, where he, he kind of holds this top three, top five in the world status, but can't really crack – um, against legitimate strikers. You, you know what I mean? Because even though Ryan Hall, you know, he trained with our, our, our boy Wonder Boy for a, a little bit. Um, so Ryan Hall does have like that kind of karate kickboxing style, but he could definitely be at this Damian Maya, um, like echelon of fighters that are definitely incredible grapplers, but can't make that transition a hundred percent work for him. Does that make sense? Oh yeah. I love it. It's, it's weird and it's turkey jerky, but I love the way Ryan Hall strikes, you know, uses the uh, question mark kick and the back hook kick to set up, you know, his takedowns and his heel hook attempts and his leg sweeps and things like that. That's so, that's such a cool thing that he has, you know, added in where he's learned, you know, that karate style from guys like wonder boy, and, uh, of course, that entire camp over there, but has now integrated it with his jiu-jitsu. Uh, him and Darren Elkins was fun to watch. Of course, he just slid in on BJP and a little bit of a tough matchmaking thing there. And, again, similar to almost what we are talking about with Arnold Allen, it's, you know, the UFC's kind of given him these guys who have a little name value but not really guys who are contenders. Of course, it's hard to move up the rankings when you're beating guys who are not in the ranking anymore, who have fell out of the rankings. So really hoping the USC can get something a little bit bigger for Ryan Hall uh, down the line. Before we sort of move on, Josh, I do want to talk about the uh, co-main event, Jessica Andrade, Caitlin Chukagian, a uh, fun fight. Chukagian was trying to use her distance. Andrade was kind of blitzing her. They end up in a couple clinches. Uh, towards the end of that first round, Andrade hits a nasty liver shot, man. You, do, you see it a lot in training, especially locally. You and I have both seen it. Uh, both in training and some of the smaller shows. Been a long time since I've seen a, a body shot in the UFC make someone stop, scream, and pretty much turn and run. And that's what we've seen with Andrade and Chukagian. Uh, she ends up landing another body shot that just drops her and ends up finishing with strikes. It was a beautiful performance, a great coming out party at Flyweight. Uh, you got to think, you know, and how Valentina has handled most 25ers this really soars Jessica Andrade right to the top three of that division. Yeah, absolutely, man. I, I was trying to unpause my mic because I was trying to uh, I was trying to Google this this um sorry I was trying to Google this this flyweight division. Man, Jessica Andrade definitely just pushed herself to the top of the list. But do you do you honestly think anybody can get past Shevchenko? You know, I mean, I, I like what Jessica Andrade brings to the table. I like that she's been in there with other top fighters. I like that she's fought Wally Zhang, and she's fought Rose Namajunas, and she's a former champion. I think anytime you got a fighter this this type, you know, who has the ability to hurt you 
in different ways. Got to remember, Andrade's got a great wrestling base because she's small. You know, she's kind of like compact. You know, she can get right on your hips. She can drive you down. She's got a little jujitsu, uh, but you know, she's gonna have a puncher's chance against anyone in the world. And it's no secret that Valentina loves to strike, loves to keep her distance. I think this was, I think this was great matchmaking by the UFC to put her against Chukagian because Chukagian is a fighter who likes to use her distance and her distant striking. And Andrade was able to blitz her and get to her body. Of course, not really comparing Shevchenko and Chukagian, but just a, a little bit of a similar style in terms of how they use their distance. I think I would, if I got to decide today, I would much rather see Shevchenko against Andrade instead of Shevchenko against Maya. I don't think that fight will be competitive in any way, shape, or form. I am 100% with you, and that's why I mentioned I think Jessica Andrade definitely just took that number one spot. And, you know, actually, so Jessica Andrade has a submission win over uh, over JoJo as well. So, I mean, she she's very well-rounded. But if I'm looking at Andrade versus Shevchenko, I just can't help but think back to Andrade versus Yoani uh, on Jacek, or even Yoana uh, versus Weili Zhang, or I'm sorry, um, Jessica Andrade versus Weili Zhang, or even Jessica Andrade versus Rose both times. Because, you know, it seems like Jessica Andrade just wants to brawl, whereas really technical strikers will really give her a hard time. Yeah. Um, you, you said a minute ago she was very compact, and it actually made me laugh. I had to mute my mic because I just had this image of her being this little smart car. <laughs> where you know you look at it and you think oh that's you know that's a, it's a little car it's kind of cute and then it can still run you the fuck over so um jessica andrade is very deadly i mean very deadly she has power i mean she shut the lights out on carolina love fish yep so uh you like <laughs> i've done that twice now i just you know I just, <laughs> um but no she shut the lights out on carolina kovalkovich and she definitely, you know, she she beat up Rose in that third round, man. So yes, she, did. she definitely has a puncher's chance against anybody. But I think the the technical striking of of um, Shevchenko is just going to be a little too much. But I think that's still a fun fight, and I I think that's even a five rounder. Like I don't think that's I don't think either one's going to get a finish. I think it's going to go to a decision. Uh, and we could have maybe the flyweight version of uh, of Wei Li Zhang and Yoana. You know, it could be one of the greatest female fights of all time. Yeah, I agree. I, I think in terms of, of the flyweight division, there's not a lot of competition for Shevchenko, but I do think, and I, I'm in 100% agree with you, I do think Shevchenko's got all the tools to definitely beat Andrade. But when I look at the division, uh, you know, Calderwood's style excited me about her fighting Shevchenko. And then, you know, sort of Maya plays spoiler. I do not like Maya's style against Shevchenko. And, you know, really the only other fight that kind of jumps out to me is maybe a Cynthia Calvillo, just the way she's able to sort of pin you down and, and get you on the mat and kind of work things there. Of course, uh, we just found out earlier this week she pulled and was, is not going to fight Lord Murphy. Uh, Lord Murphy is going to fight a newcomer coming up this weekend. So, you know, that was, that was sort of going to be a, almost a title eliminator. Say whatever you want about Lord Murphy. She would get absolutely dominated by Shevchenko, in my opinion. But uh, no doubt she's won a few fights in a row now uh, against Andrea Lee and Roxanne Matafari. Uh, she, would ha- she was going to have a chance to beat Calvillo, and that would have really sort of sold her being a top-five fighter. Uh, who knows? You know, Lord Murphy may have an easy win this weekend. The UFC may be able to set up Andrade and Murphy sometime later this year. Uh, of course, we're talking about Shevchenko. She's already booked. She's going to defend the title uh, against Jennifer Maya uh, around Thanksgiving, so around the uh, 21st of November. Anything else on this uh, card this weekend stand out to you? Other things from the 
main card, Jimmy Crute had an excellent performance. He looks like a, a really good light heavyweight two-minute knockout win there. James Krause, of course, had another good performance. I know he hurt his knee, so he slowed down at the end, but Krause, always a fun guy to watch, especially on short notice. Thomas Almeida, uh, upset by some, but I, I was impressed with Jonathan Martinez. He came to fight. He puts it on. Thomas Almeida, that's the main card stuff. Uh, the undercard, trying to think if anything really jumped out to me and nothing's really coming to mind. I know Jillian Robertson had another real good performance uh, and signed to Ragnar Madoff. It gets a huge first-round win there. He's a prospect to watch at Bantamweight. Uh, anything else really uh, jump out to you that you want to talk about from uh, this last week, Cart? Uh, yeah, you know, the Jonathan Martinez-Thomas Almeida fight, definitely a good fight. Uh, and, and super weird for me to see Thomas Almeida at featherweight. But I think even at featherweight, I think he could potentially hold his own and, and kind of bounce back. But definitely a lot of stock rising in Jonathan Martinez. I know James Krause got a big win, uh, short notice over Claudia Silva. And he is calling out Joaquin Buckley, and I do not think that is the right move for James Krause at all. Um, you mentioned Jimmy Crute. Jimmy Crute is now the youngest light heavyweight, uh, the youngest ranked light heavyweight. Jimmy Crute is one of those guys. You know, we were talking before the show um, about these Australian guys. You know, you got your Tyson Pedros, you got your Ty Tuivasas. Uh, Jimmy Crute's right there with them too, man. These these guys are kind of, you know, the Islanders are kind of taking over. I really like Jimmy Crute. However, he is very young and with a record of 12 and one, you still got to kind of wonder um, how he's going to do in that top 10, in that top, that top five uh, picture. So I'm going to kind of say that what they're doing with Jimmy Crute, you know, he's, he's fighting tough guys, but he's not fighting. They're not pushing him too, too hard. I actually really like what they're doing with Jimmy Crute because I think, uh, you know, at light heavyweight, you need these younger guys to kind of come in and, and fill this division out and kind of make a name for themselves and then work their way toward the title picture. So I really like uh, Jimmy Crute getting a win over the weekend. Um, and then, you know, on the the prelim card started off with two um, – it was two two knockouts, wasn't it? Two knockouts back-to-back. Uh, one in the first round, said Nurmagomedov, 51 seconds. And then um, the KO uh, – the Grishin and Antigulov fight in the, uh, it was a second round finish. Uh, the rest of it, you know, was kind of a, a little decision kind of card that we kind of, we kind of anticipated. You have know, Jillian Robertson gets a win at flyweight over uh, Poliana Botello. Um, overall, man, it was a pretty good card. I really enjoyed it. You know, the main card definitely done it for me. Um, and I really liked that it actually started kind of earlier too. Yeah, was, um, you were able to flip over to the uh, boxing match that was going on right after. It was nice. Yes, yes. Yeah, it was really nice. I love these cards. You know, they're starting at 7 p.m. You know, this weekend starts at 2 p.m. I mean, come on. This is for, – for East Coast guys, this is the dream right here, man. <laughs> oh, yeah, 100%. And, uh, you know, Jimmy Crew, big thing about him is I know they're moving him slowly, but at 205, you can only move slow for so long – already talks about him getting that Nikita Krylov fight he called out for post-fight. So that could be what's next for him. Uh, 205, uh, fun, uh, a fun wide-open division right now. But Jimmy Crew, I know he's young, man, but you know how light heavyweight is. You, every time you get a win, you, you really jump up almost 10 spots in the rankings. So he's going to be a name uh, to watch out. Before we uh, move on to some other things, what would you make of the boxing match this weekend? Lomachenko against Lopez, the uh, unified title there between two guys. Uh, was a real close fight. The the judges, the judge scores were, were just god terrible. awful, terrible. Because that was really one of those fights that that was close to a draw. But uh, man, Lomo just took so long to to get off, and Lopez 
I mean, was going after him from the opening bell. He, he faded a little bit late until that final round when he poured it on again. But uh, was a, a you know after watching Ortega do his work, it was nice to flip over to boxing and, and see you know another just great just affair with with two top ranked guys. And uh, you know now it's coming out that Lomo's having shoulder surgery and was was hurt going into the fight. I know that's you know boxing 101. Uh, but uh, it's just an interesting thing to think about. What'd you make of that fight? And uh, of course the scoring there, how'd you have it scored? So uh, first off, I just want to say that MMA is, is now superior to boxing uh, mm-hmm. as far as uh, watch, like watches, total number of watches, pay-per-view buys, everything. Right. Um, I really liked the idea of top rank putting this on ESPN plus Vasily Lomachenko is an absolute star, man. I mean, he's, he's, he was going into this, the number one ranked pound for pound boxer in the world. Right. So uh, I really liked what they'd done with that. So kudos to top ranked kudos to ESPN for getting that done. Tia Fimo Lopez though. Holy shit, man. I I had been talking to a couple friends before this fight got started. You know, I'm in like a couple groups on Facebook and I literally said, I said, Tia Fimo is going to, he's going to win the first three, maybe four rounds but he's going to be swinging in air. And that was definitely not the case at all, man. You know, Vasily Lomachenko is one of these guys. We often say that Vasily Lomachenko downloads his opponents as they're fighting him. You know, that's like the common, kind of the common phrase. Uh, you know, he takes a really long time to get started, but he's, he's kind of making a note of all your little inconsistencies, all your mistakes, your little, your subtle little steps. And he's just kind of downloading all this information. And then, you know, we always see him take over in about the fourth uh, to fifth round and really pour it on. Took a really long time to get going to the point where even my wife said, hey, this is the guy that, that hurts people. Like, what is he doing? And, uh, I, I, you know, as much as I want to say I scored it a draw because I truly love Vasily Lomachenko, and I think that a draw might have been a little bit better so they could run this one back. Uh, to me, man, Tiafimo Lopez definitely definitely deserved to get the win. He fought really good. For a guy that, that a lot of people only gave a puncher's chance going into this, he actually boxed very technically. And uh, he's a young guy, too. So I'm really excited to see where he goes post-Lomachenko or if they if they rematch, you know, uh, after this. I've seen that the there was a full recovery expected for uh, Lomachenko's sh- shoulder surgery. So, I'd like to see where both of these guys kind of go from here because it's very obvious Vasily Lomachenko needs to kind of maybe update his, uh, his software a little bit, you know, mm-hmm. and, and maybe, uh, maybe push the pace a little bit earlier. Tiafima Lopez is an absolute animal though. Yeah. It's, it's huge for boxing to have someone that young too. And, and the, the scorecards, man, the scorecards were so bonkers, man. That is what I don't understand is, you would assume that these judges kind of talk amongst themselves and, you know, hopefully that one would um, maybe educate another one, you know, if, if need be on the fly, you know, but no, these guys absolutely suck, man. I've said it for a while. Boxing judges are going to kill the sport of boxing. And even though a lot of people agree with uh, a Lopez victory, a lot of people heard those wild scorecards and, and they took to Twitter, man. And it, it was one of the things immediately after the fight, the top two headlines were, holy shit, uh, Lomachenko lost. And holy shit, did you guys see the judges' scorecards? So um, I think boxing does a really good job of shooting itself in the foot. I think this weekend was uh, 
maybe they didn't shoot themselves in the foot. Maybe they just kind of like started a fire, put their leg in it, and then they put it back out. You know what I mean? They they got the decision right for once. It's just the cards were fucked up. Yeah, that's the last thing you want. I mean, this is a huge headline to have to have a young up and cover. I mean, you you see a lot of boxers, and what the rec- the records are like fifty and 0, 51 and three, or something crazy. I mean, this is a guy who's you know well, like fifteen and zero. I mean, an up and comer, still young in his career. I think what he did twenty four. Like he's a young guy, and these are the people you need to get behind and make the face of your sport. And not saying that Lomachenko can't get back in there and get the titles back and all that, but. I mean, you want to push this. So the last thing you want is the headline to be how bad the scorecard was. You want the headline to be like Lopez next face of boxing, you know, I mean, next whatever. I mean, you can call him the next whoever, but obviously he's a little different than a Mayweather or Pacquiao or anybody we've seen like that. Uh, I, I had it scored seven to five for Lopez. I, th- I really thought going, to, I thought it was a great fight and going to the 12th round, thought we were tied. And then, uh, or, or I thought there was a, a slight advantage there. And then boom, here comes, you know, Lopez and just pours it on for that 12th round and uh, they were kind of even on punches but you could definitely tell Lopez had more pop and it was I really think a good game plan to come in there you know he knew that of course Lomo is a slow starter and as you mentioned downloads the what the opponent's doing and Lopez knew that so he kind of uh he kind of went boss to the wall there for the first few rounds like he should and then of course Lomo starts to have it to pick it up but again it just takes too long and it, it was a great fight I do hope they run it back I know uh, Ryan Garcia right there is going to be the name that's thrown around a lot because he's another one of these young up-and-comers and of course boxing paying for their sins from years ago not getting these big fights done until guys are late in their prime or late in their career so you'd have to think now the the boxing will probably pull the trigger too early on some fights and that's probably where we are with uh, you know Garcia and Lopez probably looking at one another already. I know Garcia said something about it I think Lopez might have even mentioned him as well. Uh, 100% they'll expect uh, the Lomo rematch somewhere down the line. And, you know, of course, boxing is, uh, you mentioned judges hurting the sport. Of, of course, uh, management and promoters and things like that also definitely damage the sport. I think I read today, you know, Wilder and Fury are, are now going in separate ways. They're not going to have a third fight. So, you know, sport's always crazy. But you know, I, I love watching good boxing matches. I try not to follow anything outside of that because it's all just so full of, politics and and sketchy promoters and stuff so i just i just wait to see what the advertised fight is and go from there and uh, we're going to talk about some big advertised fights from ufc 254 but before we get there man just a couple quick headlines that i know josh is dying to talk about so uh yeah man let's let's just start at some of the things we've seen today uh, let's just start with the one that's still fresh on my mind because i just can't get it out of my head did, <laughs> did 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 old boy kevin lee really tattoo the entire back of his head Man, I seen this stuff late last night, and I didn't know what to think of it, man. I, I was hoping, hoping there would be like a little hashtag. It said like actor or something. You know what I mean? It was like it was for a movie. But I don't know, man. I love tattoos. You know, I'm covered in tattoos. I think that a well-done tattoo can accentuate someone's beauty or a poorly done tattoo can just really drag somebody down, you know, and <laughs> we've kind of seen, you know, Darren Teal has this, this tattoo of his, uh, I guess his wife or his baby mama on his arm. It's a good sentiment, but it just doesn't translate well uh, on certain body styles or maybe, maybe some people get these tattoos too big. You know, who's the guy in the UFC had the big Johnny Cash tattoo? Alan Belcher. 
Yes, Alan Belcher. You know, and, you know, there's instances where fighters get these tattoos and they look really incredible. Did you see Alex Volkov's back tattoo? Oh yeah, that was that is absolutely incredible. And and you know, Cody Garbrandt got a, a beautiful back tattoo. T.J. Dillashaw has one of the best sleeves in MMA. And and when a, a tattoo is done well, it makes you look like even more of a badass. Oh yeah. When I mean, a tattoo is kind of, eh, it just kind of hurts your look. And I think, you know, I, I don't want to rag on my boy Kevin Lee because Kevin <laughs> Lee's been through a lot. But uh, I'm not really feeling this tattoo, man. You know, different strokes for different folks, but I'm not really, I don't know. It could be cool. We haven't seen it finished. It could be. You know what my favorite tattoo is in the UFC? It's Darren Elkins with the damage. Oh, yes. The that's, damage. That's good stuff, man. I mean, that's a good tattoo. I don't you know, care what nobody says. That's a good tattoo. You know what one of my favorite photos is? Is right after he beat uh, Bektich, and he's like beating his chest, and he's pouring blood, and it's just, it's so iconic, man. It is. It's such a good one. I mean, tattoos are, are a crazy thing this world. There's a, there's a good video of Dana White. I can't remember who shares it. It's like Men's Health or something, but he's uh, – Oh, it's GQ. I know what you're talking GQ, about. GQ, yeah, and he's playing the, uh, the tattoo game where they just show him the tattoo, and he has to guess who it is. And uh, he, he misses a couple of Connors, and everybody was like, he's lying. He knows all Connors' tattoos. Uh, that's, a, that's a good one. And I think, uh, I think the Alan Belcher one and the Darren Elkins one are both on there. Uh, so he, he recognizes, of course, the, the gorilla for McGregor, the, the big old sword penis-looking thing on Lesnar. He, oh, reco- he recognizes those, but uh, it's a good watch if you've never seen it. But, uh, yeah, I, I've always really liked uh, – I think Carlos Condit's got some very good-looking tattoos. His has always really stood out to me. Uh, but it's, it's, it's one of those things where, I mean, you said it perfectly. If you got a good one, I mean, it can, it can make – it can really make or break – I mean, it can launch you to a new level of startle if you have some nice tattoos. But, man, if you get a bad one. It's just going to get Twitter coming after you. It's going to make the announcers say things about you. I mean, it, it can literally hurt you in all kinds of different ways. And uh, you mentioned it, you know, Kevin Lee's been through a lot. He already has this uh, hate base where people just, you know, don't like the thing he says, doesn't like much about him. And he's like, you know what, I'll show him. I'm going to get the back of my head tattooed with a shield or something something a chandelier you know you know what my favorite kevin lee moment was i didn't mean to cut you off but i had to throw this out there my favorite kevin lee moment is from a press conference it was my Kessa. yes justin gaethje's first fight in the ufc justin gaethje's fighting michael johnson michael johnson keeps talking about i eat my shit whole i'm gonna kill a motherfucker and kevin lee doing his best conor mcgregor says he says michael johnson's had 30 fights lost half of ain't killed a motherfucker yet and then him and Kiesa got into it on stage. Man, Kevin Lee, Kevin Lee is such a funny guy, man. If he would just shut the fuck up and fight, you know what I mean? 100%. And I mean, look, we learned something valuable at that press conference. You do not talk about Mike Kiesa's mama. And Michael Johnson eats his shit whole. I don't even know what that means, man. But that's- I don't either. When he said, he said, I don't break my shit off. I eat it whole. I was like, what? Uh, everybody, everybody on that stage had that same look on their face. Like, what does that even mean, man? Uh, another thing of note, Chase Sherman suspended for nine months for uh, failing a drug test that was from his May fight. So the kind of thing that goes you know, in line there was for an uh, anti-estrogen 
appeals. So definitely performance enhancing, not one of those marijuana suspensions. Uh, the, the one good thing, I mean, there's not a lot of good out of this, but the good thing for Sherman, I guess, to look at or the optimistic way to look at it is it's from the May fight, nine month suspension. He's not eligible to fight until February. So for all we know, Sherman wasn't booked. So he may have not been fighting until February anyway. So that sort of works out for the, uh, what's his nickname? Vanilla Gorilla. Is that it? It's a good nickname. The Vanilla Gorilla. How cool is that, dude? A good tattoo and a good nickname can really just change your life. And you know who has both? The guy we're going to talk about next. Go ahead. I'm just going to get you in your soapbox, Josh, let you go. Mike Perry, what's going on there? Oh, dude, I hate Mike Perry. So, no, man, let me, let me, let me just get to this. And uh, um, we might lose some followers on this. We might lose some fans. I don't really care. I do not – believe in domestic violence of any sort man versus female female versus male whatever it is um you know we've seen these videos of mike perry man where he's freaking out uh he's drunk he's he obviously has something mentally going wrong and with that being being somebody who uh i'm very i'm very open and i'm also uh very supportive of mental health this guy definitely has some issues going on, man. I'm never going to knock him for having these mental health problems. Uh, what I am going to knock him for is abusing his now ex-wife, the platinum princess, Danielle Nickerson. She took to uh, MMA junkie over the week and told her story. And she, you know, there's a, a 911 call that was dug up by MMA junkie and they, uh, you know, she sent them photos that she asked for them to not share uh, because she's, she said she's not trying to ruin Mike Perry's life. She's just trying to help others that may be in this, in this position. But it still, it doesn't look good for Mike Perry uh, at all, especially given that he most recently knocked out somebody uh, in a nightclub. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be the bigger man here, Cody, and I'm going to say that I hope, truly, I hope they scrap this this Robbie Lawler fight. I'm a huge fan of Robbie Lawler, and I desperately want Robbie Lawler to absolutely just destroy Mike Perry. I hope they scrap this fight, and I hope Perry gets some of the help he needs because, uh, truthfully, you know that's that's all that we can do uh, in this sport. You know, Mike Perry's had, <laughs> yeah, he's tried to say the N word, and he's he's tried to rap. You know, he's you know famously uh, wanting to spar or go to the spa with with. Darren Teal, you know, Mike Perry has gave us some funny moments, but this guy, um, he's very conflicted. He has a lot of demons. I, I cannot be a fan of somebody, uh, that, that is in involved in domestic violence. I just can't do it, but I'm going to take the high road because I feel, I honestly kind of feel bad that I, I dug into Diego so bad. And I've been tweeting Diego asking if I can corner him for his next fight to make it up to him. Uh, you know, I did, you know, a couple of episodes ago, I went off on Diego and his coach who blocked me on Twitter, but whatever. Um, I'm going to be the bigger man. I'm going to say, I truly hope Mike Perry gets help after this. And, you know, it, it's almost a black eye at times on the UFC when they have guys like this and all this continues to come out in the media and come out on different websites. And of course, we see it from all sorts of people and all sorts of fans tweet about it. And it almost at times looks like the UFC straight up, you know, just turns the you know turns their attention to just booking a fight and you know i'm with you i I think at this point it would be in the ufc's best interest to pull that pull mike perry from that fight and you'll sort of tell him you know maybe and you don't even have to release him you know just just help you know do it do what you can uh, to get him into the right place in the right frame of mind or, or just let him work things out i mean the last thing you want is someone with these kind of issues you know having to focus on a fight train for a fight 
especially when you continue continue to put him in these these big fights. I mean, it's not like Perry is a, pre, a preliminary guy. He's got name value now. Uh, not all good press is, is, you know, we're not all press is good press. And, of course, yeah. he, he's sort of got the reputation now as, as the bad boy. But uh, this is sort of where that line comes in, and it's a little bit past it. So, if you're the UFC, uh, there's, there's no way to promote the guy. You don't want to promote the guy. So, hopefully, the UFC is able. And there's plenty of guys out there in that welterweight division who would love to fight Robbie Lawler. So, I, I hope – I agree with you. I hope the UFC will, will make a move there and, and just pull him from the fight because, I mean, that should be the last thing that Mike Perry has, has, you know, a going for a period, but to focus on, there's much more important things that he should be doing right now uh, than training for a fight, especially against someone like Robbie Lawler. UFC's always had, a, you know, at times a, a bad habit of that. Of course, you know, it goes all the way back to the war machine days. There's all these allegations out there and the UFC was still, you know, working with the element, possibly looking to get him a fight. It's just one of those things the UFC's always had a, had a bad habit of. And of course, Right now, the most common one's Conor McGregor. Always, it feels like in hot water, but yet there, there's always negotiations going on. But uh, you know, more, more things come out. It seems like every day. You know, before we before we leave this situation, I, I I'm a guy who, uh, in my personal life, on my personal podcast, in in sport, right? I've been this guy that has been very vocal about CTE and about it being real. And you look at a guy like Mike Perry. You know, Mike Perry he has some good boxing ability. He has some good kickboxing ability. You know, we've actually seen here lately, he has some good grappling ability, but Mike Perry fights a type of fight where he does get hit. You know, Jeff Neal uh, sparked him out, which I, as a fan of the sport, I love to see that. But then you have to think, because if you read this article that, that MMA junkie posted, now I urge everybody to go read this article before they make uh, any sort of assumption um, about the situation. But they, they were talking about, uh, Danielle Nickerson, which is Perry's ex-wife, went into full detail about how in the locker room after that fight, Mike Perry uh, kept trying to convince himself that wasn't real and that he had just maybe t- dozed off, taken a nap. He imagined it happening and he was still ready to go fight. He was very um, – his, his brain was obviously damaged. You know, when somebody gets sparked out like that, it's not good for the brain. And as much as we love this sport and as much as we love sports like football, uh, we love pro boxing, we love it from um, a fan aspect more than as a human aspect. And so we kind of forget that these guys are taking trauma uh, to the brain. So with that being said, I would hope that the UFC would find Mike Perry some sort of help before he ends up like a, you know, like a war machine or like a, you know, the most famous example now. Uh, is a guy like Junior Seau or a guy like uh, Aaron Hernandez. You know, Aaron Hernandez, uh, it was proven after his death that he had apparently very bad CTE, and it caused him, you know, CTE affects people differently. They lash out, uh, mood swings. In Aaron Hernandez's case, it made him very violent to the point where he took innocent lives. Um, so we hope that this situation doesn't escalate to that point. And so as a fan of the sport, as somebody who's been closely involved with the sport for as long as I truly have, it's very easy to condemn this man and say, Hey, fuck this guy. I hope he goes back in there and gets knocked out. But it's very obvious that these knockouts and, and these, these blows to the head are not helping him. So I would just hope, and, and I'm just trying to leave that on like a, a decently good note about this situation, Cody, because I don't want anybody to, um, to just start flooding Perry's Twitter and in Instagram with just absolute hate, you know, because it's very obvious this guy's going through something and it doesn't excuse his actions whatsoever, but you just hope that he gets the help he needs.
Yeah, 100% agree there. Uh, looking at or switching gears to before we get to UFC 254, I do want to look at some of the upcoming fights that have recently been announced. Seems like a, a lot of good fights have uh, popped up coming out here for the uh, next couple of months uh, around MMA. There's a bunch of them, man. Really starting with the big one. It's a bantamweight fight between Chito Vera, who's coming off uh, a little bit of a controversial win over uh, Sugar Sean O'Malley, even though I think a lot of people think that Chico may have won that fight no matter how, how it went down, whether it goes the full second round or the whole fight. Uh, nonetheless, Chito Vera is getting another big fight as he's going to fight former title challenger and former featherweight champion Jose Aldo. And uh, no doubt the hype train now is on Chito's side where he will get to go face a, a Hall of Famer. Of course, Josh, you picked Chito to beat Sugar Sean O'Malley. You were, you were all on board. Uh, you still all on board now that he's going to fight a legend in Jose Aldo. Uh, man, that is the thing about Jose Aldo, isn't it? That we don't truly know which Aldo is going to show up. You know, he got sparked out by Conor McGregor in 14 seconds and then came back to absolutely dominate Frankie Edgar after that. Uh, so then we see two Max Holloway losses, but then we see kind of a resurgence in Aldo where he's body shot and guys like Jeremy Stevens, he's, he's putting out guys like Hinata Moicana. Um, and then he makes this drop to, to bantamweight. He runs into Marlon Marais, who I, I truly think, Cody, and I'll argue it to the cows come home. I think Aldo won that fight. Um, and then, you know, he, he gets thrown in there with, with Peter Yawn. You know, obviously the UFC thought that he had, he had kind of won that fight against Marais and he gets thrown in there with, with, uh, Peter Yawn and, and Yawn is one of those guys, man. Yawn is going to look as good as he did against Aldo against just about anybody in the world. You know, it's a very select few that I think are going to be able to hang with Yawn. Um, so that's kind of the, the, the mindset I'm going into this fight. I really like Cheeto Vera. I truly seen him beating uh, Sean O'Malley just based on experience, but you're putting Cheeto Vera against somebody with uh, just as much or more experience than him. Uh, I really like that they're giving Cheeto Vera a big name, but I'm not sure. Um, I'm not sure if I I like this fight for him. I mean, I like the matchup, but I don't I don't know that I can pick Vera to win this fight. Cody, this is going to be one of those fights where I'm just going to say it's a pick em because it really depends on what Jose Aldo shows up. And truthfully, what, what Cheeto Vera shows up, because we've seen Cheeto Vera is very dangerous, but we've also seen him kind of get lulled to sleep in these these uh, three-round, 15-minute kind of kind of exchanges. And, we, you know, we've seen him on the, the weird end of decisions, so very hard to tell. I will say this. If he can get past Jose Aldo, I have no problem putting him in that top 10 to maybe top five at Bantamweight. You know, maybe if he can get past Aldo, give him somebody like Pedro Munoz, who's coming off a – a loss, but but it's also right there at the top of the ticket. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's, it's a definitely a good fight to uh, really prove yourself because at the end of the day, it's it's there's no real bad outcome for Chito Vera. I mean, if you lose, again, you're losing to a surefire Hall of Famer, one of the best featherweights of all time, a guy who's had success at bantamweight. And then if you win, I mean, you you know you're you're all in. You get to move, like you said, to the top ten, earn yourself a big fight for whatever's next. Speaking of whatever the big fight is, two other big names at bantamweight that just got booked uh, December nineteenth. Quick turnaround for Magic Marlon Marais, obviously. Uh, didn't quite go his way against Corey Sanhagen just a week ago. A uh, quick turnaround, though, as he will fight Rob Font. Uh, Rob Font, sort of a, a sleeper in, in the Bantamweight division. Uh, long arms, pretty well-rounded. Marlon Rice is a guy who, you know, you got to remember, it wasn't that long ago that about five minutes into that fight against Henry Cejudo, we thought Magic Marlon was going to absolutely just 
walk away with the world bantamweight title. Uh, since then, things have not gone great. Of course, the controversial fight against Jose Aldo, which I agree with you. I 100% had that scored for Aldo. And then, of course, the the performance against Sanhagen, in which he came out firing, looked good for three minutes. And then Sanhagen figured it out and ends up finishing that by TKO uh, just a couple weeks ago. Uh, what do you think of the quick turnaround? And what do you think about the matchup between uh, Marlon Moraes and Rob Fawn? I think this is a, a good fight for, for Rob Fawn, honestly, to make a big impact in this division. Yeah, you know, and, and even, you know, Rob Fawn got injured in his last fight, but still was able to pull out with the victory. I think this could be uh, Marlon Moraes' kind of last stand. You know, he says, hey, I'm, I'm better than I've been fighting. And he, you know... Uh, kind of makes makes a little bit of a resurgence where it could be a coming out party for Rob Font, but I truly love that matchmaking, Cody. And really quick, before we move on, I'm going to ask you, because we, we mentioned it a moment ago, uh, you know, we mentioned Zabit being uh, notoriously uh, a three-round fighter. He kind of slows down in the latter half of his fights. Uh, you know, he comes from the exact same camp as a guy, Edson Barboza, and as one Marlon Marais comes from. So do you think that maybe there's something going on in that camp? They're just not really focused on the cardio or what do you, what do you think could be the issue here? I mean, you know, sometimes when you have that style and, and you know, Marlon and Barbosa definitely are both in that same boat where, I mean, the way they punch, the way they kick, I mean, you would have to be a different animal to do that for five rounds. So I think at the end of the day, you just say, you know, well, look, you know, both of you guys have the ability to finish. Both of you guys are, are devastating strikers. I, I think really, I'd hate to say you're not training for five rounds, but I do think probably the priority is to get finishes and get finishes as quick as possible. And once you move into the top 10, you know, it just doesn't work like that anymore. Now, up-and-comers have the ability – to fight like that. Uh, of course, another name that comes to mind is Chris Weidman. Weidman's uh, not a good five-round fighter. It, it's been the truth for forever. If he can't get it done pretty quickly, he fades. And, of course, as he's gotten older, it's gotten more evident. I mean, really, in his uh, comeback win most recently uh, against Akhmedov, I mean, he just – I mean, he looked awful in, in that second round. And then third round was just fortunate that he had a little more gas in the tank and was able to get him out. So, just, just you know, there's a lot of guys in the UFC – who are finishers and if they're not able to get a finish it's almost like they're not I mean it's really one of the I mean you either get a finish or you lose the fight we've seen a lot of fighters like that and I think uh, Marais and uh, of course uh, who uh, Ese Barbosa another guy you mentioned they're, they're in that similar boat I mean these are two guys that that need a finish and of course in a three-round fight you know Josh Keita mentioned if I can last 10 minutes and, and beat you up for 10 minutes I, I can take the third round off uh, five round fights is where you mentioned that it falls apart. So, uh, and, you know, that's tough. I mean, a lot of guys have struggled with that, but mostly you see, you know, these Brazilian devastating strikers and that's what magic Marlin and Barbosa both are. So uh, it's a hard, it's a hard thing, you know, to, to get prepared to go five rounds when you're that good of a striker, because you would hate to, to not fight your style for the first two rounds and risk, you know, get hurt or get finished or anything and then try to turn it on in rounds three, four, and five. So, you know, that's tough. That, that's one of those things where I'm not sure if they'll be able to figure it out without maybe going to a different camp to at least cross-train some, you know I mean? It wouldn't hurt someone like uh, Marais to possibly look at, you know, of course, staying with that camp, but maybe experimenting with going out to somewhere like Denver or going up to Montreal to work on a few more cardio and a, a few more stamina sort of things. I've seen that him and Edson had both uh, done part of their camp at Mark Henry's, and then they'd done the latter portion of their camp at ATT in uh, in um, 
gosh, in Florida, you know, I'm, I'm kind of, you know, Mark Henry has an incredible gym. You know, Cody Garbrandt went from alpha male up to, to Mark Henry's gym to kind of just get a different look. And, you know, and we've seen it definitely elevated Cody Garbrandt. You know, you've got guys like Frankie Edgar in there who are just absolute monsters. Uh, you know, Claudia Gadelia was kind of part of that Mark Henry camp for a little bit. So to me, it, it's, it's kind of hit or miss, but I, it's those, those kind of three guys, you know, three of the more notorious Mark Henry guys that I just kind of made the connection. And I was like, Oh, that's kind of suspect. Um, but speaking of Brazilians, man, uh, I know that this is kind of one of those matchups that we've been hearing about a lot. And, and since we are talking about matchups, we have to mention it. The November 14th card RDA finally gets booked against Islam Makachev again. How do you see that one going? Well, I, I was leaning toward Makachev when that fight was on for, for this weekend and uh, fell apart for whatever reason. I don't even know if did someone get did someone get Rafael dos Santos got uh, COVID or had a COVID scare or something in the got fight? The Rona. Yeah, I got the Rona and came off the card. Look, Makachev's a guy who I think a lot of people are super high on. A lot of people see, uh, you know, future top five guy. I know a lot of people, including, of course, Khabib, really was gunning for someone like Tony Ferguson or someone like Michael Chandler to jump in and fight him. Uh, of course, Makachev, not a guy I'd want to fight on short notice because, I mean, he's got the name where you just don't get a lot beating him, and he's probably going to beat you. So that's a tough matchup. I mean, he's one of these guys that, I mean, it almost reminds me of uh, Kamara Usman when he was not the champion, where, you know, he all of a sudden kind of went from like 12th or 13th in the world but jumped up to the top three because you couldn't really get guys to fight him. So you just had to move him up and just put him in there with the title guy. I think Makhchev will have a very similar run at lightweight where he's going to be a hard guy to match because there's just not a lot of benefit in beating him. I mean, a guy like Dan Hooker even, who's got great fights, great wins, always puts on a show. Dan Hooker's in the top five, but if he goes and fights Makhchev and gets beat uh, or if he gets the win, Either way, it's not doing too much for him. So, you know, you doubt someone like Hooker or someone like a Paul Felder or someone like a Poirier, of course. Those, these guys aren't going to fight someone like Makhchev. So uh, I'm all on board. I think Rafael Dos Anjos has clearly been on a slide uh, the last couple of years. I, I think, of course, he's got the experience. He's a veteran. He's a former world champion. I just think at this point in his career, though, uh, this is one of those fights where he's sort of in that gatekeeper role, and Makhchev will get a big name. You know, he's 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 18 and one, but he's not really fought that big name just yet. Of course, David Ramos was was a guy who was another dark horse. That was really like your your secret dark horse fight that happened, and now Makhchev will get a chance to fight a much bigger name and move up in this lightweight division, which is loaded with name value. But Makhchev is one of those names where I think he will he will kind of jump in and really spoil a lot of the things going on with some of these big names. I know, you know, Dana has said repeatedly that he's uh, trying to get Poirier and McGregor to fight and it has to be at 155. And these dudes are talking about 160 pound catch weights and 170 pounds. Dan Hooker and Nate Diaz are talking about catch weights. You know, when you look at just straight up 155 pounds, uh, that's where Makhchev is. And that's where he's likely to, to quickly rise up in the ranks. You do wonder what happens in the Khabib situation. I know Khabib's, this is really the only lightweight fight he's talking about, I, I think, from all indication. And you may have seen something I didn't, but it seems like he wants this to kind of be, I don't really the last big fight at lightweight. Then he's got aspirations to possibly fight GSP. Uh, but, you know, I understand there's not a lot going on. 
at lightweight once this fight's over. So if something happens where Khabib goes in there and beats up Gagey, I mean, there's a good chance that sometime in the next six months that title's up for grabs. I wouldn't be surprised one bit if uh, Makachev's kind of right there in the mix to uh, get his hands on a, a potential eliminator fight uh, sometime early, mid next year. But it starts with Dos Anjos, but I do think uh, Makachev a big favorite in that fight. I would not mind seeing RDA of old come back. Um, you know, especially, you know, he's fought a little while at 170. You know, he had uh, up and down luck, you know, kind of got up to the top of the heap, you know, took on Colby for the interim title uh, and then kind of tapered off from there. So I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued that he's coming back to 155, but I'm kind of with you. I think this might be, and I hate to say it because Islam actually has been blocked on Twitter too. So if anybody's close to the AKA camp, tell Islam to please unblock me. But, <laughs> but uh, you know, I, I hate to say it. I think he could pull out with a win here, but I'm not going to be surprised if RDA can maybe find a way to get it done, you know? Um, another Brazilian that, uh, you know, a lot of people uh, might not be talking about and they might be talking about, you know, I don't mean to kind of derail uh, these this, this fight announcement post because, you know, we've got – uh, another big matchup in Angela Hill and Tisha Torres that we could talk uh, for days about, you know, the rematch and how that plays out. But I'm really wanting to talk about Anderson Silva, the true, you know, the, the, for a while, the biggest, not only the biggest Brazilian in the world, but the biggest MMA fighter in the world is finally calling it quits at the end of October, Cody. You know what? I don't even know what to say to that because there's a I like I just really think that we'll have to talk about this in more detail on November 1st because I love Anderson Silva but I swear I read his same statement his same quote his word for word this will be my final fight after the Nate Diaz or after the Nick Diaz fight and then after the after Cannoneer too, wasn't it? After Cannoneer, I think he might have even said it after Bisbing. I think he said it after the Adesanya fight. I think he said it after the Daniel Cormier fight. So you get my drift. I mean, Anderson Silva is a guy who, you know, we agree. I mean, this should be his final fight. There's no question about it. You you play these risky games with your legacy. You know, diehard fans like you and I, you know, we know who Anderson Silva was at his at his peak. Therefore, he's no doubt always going to be one of the greatest of all time. But you just play a risky game. And not to take anything away from Uriah Hall, whose record doesn't really indicate how good he is and the, the, kind, of, uh, the kind of fights he's been in over the years. But, it, you know, in my opinion, Hall goes out there and he puts on a show and he gets the biggest win of his career. And then, of course, Anderson Silva will ride off into the sunset. And uh, that should definitely be the, the last of him. But, you know, say we see just a little bit of a, of a prime Anderson Silva. Anderson Silva does not come off to be the kind of guy that can leave with a big win. So if he goes out there and he lands a head kick or he lands a smooth counter cross and he finishes Uriah Hall, you know, inside two or three rounds uh, with all the other fights that he could potentially have, I can't see Silva walking away. And, I mean, you got guys like Darren Till. You got guys like Chris Weidman. You got guys like Yoel Romero. I mean, there's a lot of fights, I think, that would intrigue Anderson Silva to stick around just a little bit longer if he has a good performance uh, against someone like Uriah Hall. It's good matchmaking. It's a good fight. And I think there's a, I think there's definitely benefit for Uriah Hall if he gets the win. But after all these years of watching Anderson Silva, Josh, I just cannot see Silva – getting a big win i mean of course if it's a uh, lackluster ish fight or just sort of an eh decision 
Silva may call it quits with a win. But if something crazy happens, man, and he gets a TKO, there's no way in my mind he, he, he stays true and it's his last fight. There's just no way. I just don't see it. The spider is the ultimate Brazilian showman. <laughs> I'm under the impression if he was to go out and maybe get like a like a, a jumping switch kick knockout or maybe let's say like a spinning back elbow kind of knockout, I'm under the impression too that he might stick around and angle for that Chris Weidman rematch. That would be absolutely perfect, wouldn't it? Ending it, you know, this this guy ended your, your incredible title reign and you end your career on a victory uh, against him. But I don't know, man. There's something about Anderson Silva – as of late, you know, he, besides dropping Bisming, uh, you know, in their, in their five round main event, I've just not, I love Anderson Silva. Don't get me wrong, but I've just not been too, too impressed with his last couple. Uh, so I don't, I don't think this is going to be, I don't think this is going to be uh, a fight where we get a finish. I think, you know, in all, all respect to Uriah Hall, I mean, that guy dropped Paulo Costa, what, two fights ago. Yeah. Um, so I'm, you know, I'm not knocking him at all, but I just think this is going to be a very technical a very slow-paced chess match, uh, and I can kind of see the, the the spider signing off after this. You know, like I said, he is the ultimate Brazilian showman, and he would definitely love to go out with a uh, you know avenging a loss, or let's say go out in spectacular fashion. But I just can't see him getting it done really against anybody with a good name value. Which, uh, in my mind, that's the only people that that Silva's gonna fight. You know, he. You know, you could say Uriah Hall has a good name value because, you know, he did drop Paulo Costa with that incredible spinning back knockout on the Ultimate Fighter where I was under the impression the guy that he, he kicked was dead. Yeah. Uh, you know, so that's just one of those, you know, Uriah Hall's full of viral moments like that. Um, I Wait, just – Dude, he's knocked out. I thought that dude was dead. He's not dead? I, as far as I'm – I don't think he's been charged with anything. Oh, I thought dude died. Very well could be dead. He could still be in the, the, the tough house. I'm going to look that up. I thought he was dead dead. <laughs> Buried under the oh, – wait, are you being for real? Like that guy died? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> like, oh, I was like, wait a second. Like, if he died like after that, I would feel so bad. But, yeah, <laughs> if Uriah Hall was his murderer, then he's definitely buried under the cage at the tough house, and, and somebody should at least go throw some mice on him so he doesn't stink the place up. But, but you see what I'm saying, though? I think that – I think it's going to be a slow enough – kind of chess battle that I think it's probably going to be very telling for Silva to, to retire. And, and, you know, he's, he's got a son that's involved in the sport. You know, I know they own their own gym. Uh, you know, I, I think he might be ready to, to take on this new facet of his life. Is that guy dead? Did you, are you Googling that right now for real? Hey, I'm Adam Seller. Or is that his name? Seller? Adam Seller? No, he's alive. Yeah, he's actually, alive. <laughs> he actually fought, he's actually fought a few times, but uh, yeah, I, I did need to look that up real quick. So I'm like, man, I hope he's not dead. Uh, I just think middleweight's got a lot of intriguing fights and I think Anderson Silva and I'm with you. I think if the fight's not entertaining or, or Silva gets hurt and gets and loses, then, you know, he'll, he'll call it quits because like you mentioned, I mean, he's not going to fight anyone with no name value, uh, but if he wins, if Silva wins, if Silva looks good, if it's a, you know, fun fight, uh, I, I do think names like Chris Weidman, who's not currently booked, and of course does not look great by any means in his his last you know couple of years of combat. Uh, for some reason, a name like Darren Till pops out. You know, if Till was to go lose to Hermanson, uh, that's a fun fight to do somewhere down the line between Silva and Till. I think Darren Till would dominate that fight, but I do think that's a name value fight. Uh, I think, uh, and then. There's always just you know a few names you mentioned Yoel Romero. You, we don't know how that fight would go. Romero, I believe, is close to the same age as Anderson Silva. As hard as that is to believe, but you know that's a, a potential matchup that could be really fun or just absolutely the most boring fight in UFC history. 
and uh, you know Silva's fought a bunch of uh, not really prospect names, but up and coming guys. I mean, you got to think about a guy like Kazma Chabayev. I mean, possibly against Anderson Silva. I mean, these are just all crazy ideas off the top of my head, but. You know, Silva's always sort of been like the uh, Ric Flair of MMA where, you know, he's a legend. He's the greatest of all time in some people's minds. But every time he looks like he's fading out, something gets him to jump back in. So uh, I would be I would be pretty shocked if he if he really did call it quits after the Uriah Hall fight. Uh, no doubt he should. But uh, we'll see. We'll see what happens there when those two fight because that's going to be a fun matchup. There's going to be some some fun action there. I do think there's a slim chance it's not a very fun fight, but I think those two guys fighting on a Halloween Saturday will put on a show. It is, it is such an intriguing matchup because we just truly don't know how it goes. And I just want to say, if Anderson Silva does not retire, I want him to rematch Chris Weidman, or I've got to have Anderson Silva versus UL Romero. Just either pure boredom or pure violence, one, one way or the other. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Baseline MMA. For written previews, recaps, and more, plus NBA, NFL, and other sports coverage, visit our website at BaselineTimes.com. Follow the Baseline MMA Twitter for live fight coverage every weekend. For TJ, Josh, and Cody, until next week, thanks for joining us on another episode of Baseline MMA. Baseline MMA.